Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. We're hanging out in San Francisco, in person. Not bad. Kind of fun. Little company retreat. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. Today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you, and then... We'll do our best to get you answers, advice, horseplay, admonishment, tough love, etc. And uh, today has been awesome because we're hanging out in, we're doing a little podcast retreat here where we can brainstorm and plan for the next year. And there's just some sort of magical bandwidth working in person that we just don't have online. You can't get this from Slack. No, you just can't. Skype, Slack, etc. You're just making sure we're all on the same page. And having a beer or, or 10 over the course of a weekend is also a pretty good plan. So let's cut to it. Hey, Jordan, Jason, and the AOC team. I'm a graduate student who's getting my PhD in chemistry very soon, and I'm in the process of looking for jobs. I joked with one of my colleagues at university about finding jobs in the field. At first, he had nothing for me, but a week or so later, he emailed me with an offer of a warm introduction to a guy who works at a huge chemical company. As he puts it, I know this guy, albeit not well, but we overlapped a bit. Do you want an introduction? I said, of course I do. It can't hurt. But at the same time, I have little to no idea on what I should do with this opportunity. Do I simply ask him about what it's like to work for the company? How do I ask if he's heard of any available jobs? Do I talk about myself or look up his PhD work? I'm nervous about wasting an opportunity that someone else whom I respect is willing to put forward for me. Thanks for all you do at AOC. Signed, Concerned Chemist. P.S. Hey, Jason, still listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. Keep up the good grump. Nice. You got a couple of grump fellow grumps here. All right. So here's what I recommend in situations like this. You ask if he has time to do an informational interview. And you might not want to call it that because it might sound a little bit heavy duty, but you can say, yeah, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee near your office or home. Let me know what's convenient. That way you're asking for a meetup, but you're making it so convenient and coffee says short amount of time. Now, some people are too busy. They won't want to do it. They'll just want to talk to you via email. But most people will accept this unless they're extremely, extremely ridiculously busy because you're making it really convenient. So once you get there to the coffee shop, ask about their work. Hopefully, you've done some homework. Look them up on LinkedIn. Look them up on their company website. Find out about what they do so you can speak at least conversantly, about what they're doing, and you can get them talking about their work. It's that old Dale Carnegie, nothing's more interesting than being interested in someone else or something like that. Right, so then you can ask about opportunities with the company. Not, hey, can I have a job? But you can say something like, where is your company looking to expand? Where is your company looking to hire? Or are you looking to hire? Not, can I have a job? Also, Ask where he would go inside the company if he were in your shoes. It sounds like this. If you were me, what would you do at Dow Chemical or whatever chemical company this is? What would you do if you had to start your career over at age 24? Where do you, what would you recommend I do right now? Then, and take notes on this, by the way. Grab a little Moleskine notebook or something like that. Take some notes. Don't write on your phone because it kind of looks like you're just texting, even if you're like, oh, I'm just taking notes on my phone. They don't really know that, and it still just looks like you're not paying attention. So write things down on paper. Then ask, and this is a big ask, but it might be really flattering as well. So make sure you do this in order, by the way. Ask if you can shadow him for a day. Don't chicken out and email him later and ask. Don't freak out about, oh, he's going to say no, so I'm going to put this in a follow-up email. Ask him in person. They're much more likely to say yes and ask it at the end of the conversation. Can you shadow him for a day and then nail down a time to actually do that in the next 30 to 60 days? Otherwise, it'll be a someday maybe and it will never happen. So if yes, 
great. Go and then shadow them, ask about opportunities or for an introduction to the people who recruit for the company. And if no, a lot of people will say no because you need a security clearance or they're working on something that's not public. If they say no, don't worry. Ask if they know the best person to talk to about what the company is looking for. Don't say, how do I get hired? But ask what they are looking for. And here's really a really key point. If you're not a good fit for the company, offer to refer other students, colleagues of yours, if you're not a good fit. In other words, you're just focused on bringing value to the company, helping them hire qualified candidates, not, hey, are you looking for somebody who studies organic chemistry like me? No, okay, you're dead to me. Next, try and help them get what they need. Then, of course, make sure to thank the person who made the introduction and let them know how you leverage the opportunity. Don't just say thanks for the intro. Say, hey, John, thanks for the introduction. I actually ended up meeting with Marvin from Dow. I'm going to shadow him for a day. It's been really useful. He's a really great person. I got a lot of really good insight. I really appreciate it. This will make them feel good, and it lets them know you're making them look good and encourages him to help you again if you need it. That's very important because otherwise they don't know if you ever used the intro. They don't know if things went poorly. You want to reinforce that they did the right thing by helping you and made sure that they looked good. That's how you build social capital in this type of situation. Hope that helps. Let us know how this goes. All right, next up. Hey, guys, why don't you read positive reviews on the show? Oh, there aren't any. No, of course. There's like <laughs> 10,000 or something five-star reviews in iTunes. But the reason I don't read positive reviews on the show is in order to be fair and portray a normal image of what we're doing here, I'd have to balance them out with negative reviews or negative feedback, which otherwise I would risk being too self-congratulatory. Like, here's the person sucking up to me of the week. That's not really useful to anybody. It would encourage people then to write more negative feedback which I don't want to do. Sure, it would encourage positive feedback, but it would also encourage negative feedback. And I'm not saying I only want good feedback. I'm just saying I don't want somebody to give us a bad review just so they're like, I got Jordan's attention. So I don't look at any of that stuff. I've noticed a lot of people who write hate mail and negative stuff in general, they really tend to want attention. They're not trying to give feedback so that we become better at this. That's a different type of email that usually comes as a form of an email, not a review. And so I don't want to encourage people who want attention from somebody like us that, oh, they're, I, the best way to do this is to write something that's dickish. No, I don't want to encourage people to be terrible to each other or waste our time with negative drama. And, and that all that negative crap in my inbox is, is bad. I don't want to reward that kind of behavior. And giving them a spotlight would then increase this issue. Besides, other people's opinions on what we are doing, in fact, other people's opinions on anything you create matters far less than your own opinion on what you're doing. So other people's opinions on what we're doing here at AOC on the show matter far less than our own opinions on what we are doing here. Does that make sense? Absolutely, sir. Totally agree. So we don't pat ourselves on the back just like we don't continually write in negative stuff because it's better to just ignore that stuff. And we want to answer your questions and not just pat ourselves on yeah, the back. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a waste of time. If you like the show, you listen. You don't have to get social proof by hearing what other people think. Correct. And it's just a waste of an opportunity to speak to you as an audience member to tell you how great we are. It's stupid, in my opinion. All right. All right. We got some feedback here on our last Fan Mail Friday 140. Speaking of feedback, so this is a different kind of feedback. <laughs> different, this is totally kind of feedback. This is somebody helping another listener, just to be clear. All and right. This is the kind of feedback we really like. Exactly. Go ahead. Jordan, 
This morning on my way into work, I listened to Fan Mail Friday 140. And when he started talking about the child with ADHD who blames himself for his mother's issues, it struck a chord with me. You see, I grew up with ADHD and was in a similar situation. Perhaps I can offer my two cents on the situation and offer some hope that things will turn out okay. Growing up, I was the oldest of three siblings. While I was very intelligent, I didn't do well in school. The subjects didn't interest me, or in some cases were just rehashed knowledge that I'd already taught myself. Essentially, I didn't put much effort into my pre-college education because it was boring. Soon, much of my family and educators had given up on me. I was constantly criticized for being a failure, despite never actually failing, and especially by my mother, who frequently let me know I would never amount to anything and was an embarrassment to the family. The only people that stood by me were my loving grandparents. My mother, unable to handle me for the fact that I had ADHD, basically turned me over to them. I moved in, and my grandfather helped me explore what caught my attention. He took the time to capture my attention and then educate me through my interests by integrating math, science, and other lessons into projects. But for years, I blamed myself for the rest of the family not wanting anything to do with me. It made me incredibly depressed, but eventually I overcame those feelings. The advice I'd like to offer to the grandmother is to take a keen interest in her grandson's personal hobbies and interests. Provide hands-on activities that incorporate important lessons and through love and reinforcement, show him that it's not his fault. Be there for him and engage him in activities that catch his interest. Some of my fondest memories to this day are with my grandparents, and through the love and dedication they shared with me, it helped me overcome the feelings of worthlessness and failure. After college, I moved across the state to the Grand Rapids area, discovered the AOC podcast, and I'm doing the 30-day challenge right now. Available at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. And while at times it's tough, it's been steady progress towards my life goals. Every time I start to feel down, I just remember the life lessons my grandparents taught me. I wish that grandmother all the best. In the end, the memories she builds with her grandson will shape who he is as an adult. Sincerely, Jason L. That's great. I love that. This is, in, by the way, of course, in reference to... The kid who thinks that whose grandmother, the other grandmother, blamed him for his mom being on drugs is so shameful, so terrible. So he lives with his other grandmother, who is the one who listens to AOC and wrote in to the show. And the kid's in a tough spot. I mean, he's young. And so he believes adults, terrible adults, when they tell him that his mother's drug habit is his fault. It's just insane. And it's good to know that other people have been through something similar and have turned out well as a result of the love and care that other people, aside from their crappy parental figures, have given them. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. 
You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, next up. Hey, Jordan and Jason. I love the show and especially the fact that you communicate as humans who enjoy things, not as robots or nodes in the success matrix. Thanks. I'm not totally sure what that means, but thank you. <laughs> this is The success matrix was like the Matrix 4 with Keanu where yeah. he just sat around and read Tony Robbins books all day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm trying to get my crap together. I'm visually impaired, basically almost blind, but without the stick in the sunglasses. And I always find networking a real hassle. I have a performative element to my personality and like entertaining people with music or jokes. And when I'm on point, I feel pretty good. But I struggle meeting new people and starting conversation because I'm actually pretty shy. I don't imagine this is unique. I miss visual cues and I'm not sure that I really respond to body language. Well, duh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, got it. I certainly don't do well with more subtle facial expressions. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been single my whole life and have struggled to find the one thing that's always eluded me, a meaningful relationship. There's a fair bit to unpack there, so I guess I should start with fixing one thing at a time. Do you have any tips? I'm signed up for the challenge and I'm really looking forward to getting my teeth into it, but I wonder if I might fail at some of the visual hurdles. I'd love to know what you guys think should be my next step. I'm not desperate or in a hole. I get depressed like many of us do, but I understand that there are peaks and valleys. I just feel I'm missing some bits of cod. Bits, bits of cod? Bits of cod. Maybe he can't get his fish and chips. I don't. I'm, is that a th saying? I don't I'm missing know. some bits of cod. Or could be, uh, you know, autocorrect fail. Did he dictate this? <laughs> oh, man. Now I just feel bad. I wonder if he dictated this. And it's just like, okay, you said bits of cod. I know what you mean, though. All right. All right. Thanks for all you do. Yours, verbose in Birmingham. That's funny. I have no idea what bits of cod. It's probably a saying that I've just never heard. He's probably well read, and that's a thing. Yeah, that we're not say. we're not from Birmingham, so yeah, I don't know. So look, man, I would say if you are blind or blindish or visually impaired, this is the perfect excuse to ignore nonverbal cues. Yes, ignore them. Act like they don't exist. It's fine. Don't be more cautious because you can't read them. Be less cautious because you have a really great, believable excuse to not heed them at all. I'm not saying be a jerk or disregard other people's feelings or something like that, but don't assume you're missing some sort of rejection that other people are giving you just because you're not sure what they're doing non-verbally. I always tell AOC students, if you think there's a 1% chance that somebody wants to interact with you, go ahead and round up to 100%. It's all good. Err on the side of not worrying about it. So forget the visual cues. If people think that you should be responding to those visual cues, they're the ones that are unreasonable. So don't be extra cautious because you don't have that channel of communication. Ignore it and always assume that it's going in your favor, which is great. It's a useful skill to have. Some people will find it unreasonable, but they're being unreasonable because you can't see. So you have a great excuse there. It's an advantage in this particular instance. Also, I recommend that you take improv. We had a blind client here at AOC Bootcamp. He got really into the improv section, and later he became this amateur blind stand-up comic who was also shy. So there's a lot of funny bits that he has on not knowing where the mic is and how he drove to the club that night, and that was a crazy experience. He's really funny. He did a really great job with it. So he's leaning into 
the quote unquote disability and turning it into an advantage, I recommend that you do the same in every single area. So instead of turning it into something where you don't know and you have to manage this because you don't have that channel, ignore that channel and use the fact that you don't have to worry about that as an advantage in itself. Oh, and last but not least, the challenge has some visual stuff, but you can easily ignore it. Like, yeah, you got to record a video. You can't see yourself on video. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's for you to break out of your comfort zone and do certain things. Don't worry about watching other people's videos if you can't really see them. It's not going to be a problem. You can just listen to them and it'll have the same or similar effect. Oh, and for other people, I know I said this earlier, but the challenge is at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. It's practical drills and exercises to help push you outside your comfort zone. That's what he's referring to, and it's free. And it's a minimal time commitment. Everyone can take part in it. All right, next up. Hi, guys. I do a lot of writing for work, press releases, brochure copy, and web content. I've always been proud of my vocabulary and my ability to craft complex sentences that invoke novels and magazine stories rather than newspaper columns. I'm always looking to improve myself, and when I attended a communication seminar for work, the speaker recommended reading Words That Work by Dr. Frank Luntz. In it, Dr. Luntz advocates simplicity, simple messaging, and small words. His arguments make sense. If the person reading your stuff can't follow it or understand it, it's useless to him. Your message will be lost. This has created a conflict for me. If I keep writing the way I have, I risk my message being missed and people not being able to follow what I'm saying. Uh, that's at least according to Dr. Luntz. If I keep my writing simple and bland, there's no confusion and the message gets through. But I worry it'll be too boring and reflect poorly on me as a writer. I enjoy writing the way I have and feel like simplifying is dumbing things down. But if it will make me ultimately better at my job, which is communicating a message, shouldn't that take priority? What are your thoughts on the matter? Regards from too many words. <laughs> nice. So we've made a similar choice ourselves here at AOC on the podcast. Simple is definitely better for mass market and it's better for instructional communication. But if it's boring, you're going to hate it. So read The Atlantic. I love The Atlantic. I like The New Yorker and things like that. But they also have made a choice to not dumb things down. I often have to look up words and articles that I read in places like The Atlantic, and I like that about the magazine. On the show, I speak plainly, but I also don't dumb things down any more than is necessary to make my message clear. I won't talk like an eighth grader just because some people might not understand. Those people filter themselves out and they filter themselves away from the work that we're doing here. So for things that you like writing, write how you want, write how you like, write how you prefer. For work, if you need a specific result, like to be appealing to the mass market, your best bet is to do whatever is most likely to achieve that result. Bear in mind, the way that we speak and write is always a choice, and we make that choice in every piece or every interaction. We don't just have to pick one mode and stick with it. I can speak more plainly in one show versus another. I can write more plainly than I speak, or I can speak more plainly than I write, which I often do. You don't have to write the same way at work as you do in the things that are for hobby or for fun. In fact, I recommend having separate voices for separate results that you want to get. And I think that's going to solve your problem. Yeah, paying attention to the audience is key, especially if you're writing a brochure for a product. You don't want to be using 50 cent words that you don't have to just because you're trying to flex your muscles, you know, stay exactly. on point for the audience. So it's all about it's a, it's a question about who you are as a writer and as a brand. And you don't have to have the same written personality at work as you do in other work. And I think that's an important notice for any 
creative, really. You, you can be a professional painter that often paints people's houses, but if you like painting landscapes, you're not going to do the same thing on canvas as you're going to do on the wall of a construction site, right? You're not going to do the same thing as a mural in an alley in San Francisco as you're going to do at an art gallery in Manhattan. You're allowed to have different personalities in different modes of expression. Same thing goes for painting, writing, speaking, anything that you do that's considered creative, you can have different voices, and I think that you should. Yeah, it's going to expand your toolbox, too. Exactly. All right. Next up. Hey, Jordan, you seem like a nice person. <laughs> yeah, LOL. What's a mean thing that you've done just so I can feel like you're normal? Signed, Bad Brenda. All right. So one of the meanest things that I've ever done, I liked this girl, Jenny Moore, in first grade. And so and it was snowing in Michigan. We were in our snow pants running around outside. And I tripped her to get her attention. And she fell face first in the snow really hard. And falling face first in icy snow hurts a lot. And so she started crying and I immediately felt kind of bad. And uh, I ended up, she ended up being my girlfriend a few years later, several years later. So I guess it worked, but it was still really mean. No, the, the actual meanest thing that I've done, I think, as an adult, this is kind of shameful, but uh, I'm going to answer this question because you asked. I actually was flying back from Asia a, not that long ago, probably like eight years ago. and. You know when they close, Jason, all of the windows on an airplane so that you can sleep, but it's daytime outside because you're flying into the sun. So it's probably 4 a.m., but it's bright out. Right. So everybody can reset their clock. Right. Everyone can reset their clock. There was this freaking punk in the row in front of me, and he kept opening his window because he wanted to read. Now, this illuminates the entire cabin. So this, the flight attendant kept coming up and closing the window, and he would open it again, and then I would close it because I was behind him, and I would cl and he would open it again, kind of like passive-aggressive, like, F you, I'm opening this. So I'd call the flight attendant and be like, look, there's several rows of people that can't sleep because of this bright light. If he wants to read, use the reading light, just like the captain said. So she would come by and talk to him over and over and over, and he would just be like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And they have other stuff to do, the flight attendants. So they're just like, screw it, we're awake, he's not going to cooperate, there's not much we can do. So I was really pissed, and I got up and I said, close this window right now, because everybody's annoyed with you. And he just said some crap to me, and like, I, I don't know what language he was speaking back then, because I didn't know any Chinese, so it could have been that, or it could have been something else. I was flying back, I think, from Vietnam anyway. And... He just kind of dismissively said, screw you. You know, I, you can read the nonverbals yeah, on that. That's pretty easy. So I was really pissed and I hadn't slept. And again, this is not current Jordan. I want to emphasize this. But when I went through immigration in the United States and they said, welcome home, I said, by the way, there was a guy on the plane in front of me and I got his seat number. And I said, I heard him talking about smuggling food into the country. Oh, my God. And so they detained him because I saw where he was in line. They pulled him out of line. They detained him and they went through everything that he brought. So he's probably there for a long time. Yeah. Explaining every little food item, if he even had any in his luggage. And I just thought, if you're going to inconvenience everybody, and I'm going to be vindictive and petty about it. So I feel pretty bad about that. I really hope that it didn't ruin his trip. I really hope that they didn't like Send not him let back. him in or yeah. something. So I, I still to this day feel kind of petty and guilty about that. But I will say, never piss off somebody who's a professional social engineer. Cause that's what I was doing before this AOC stuff. I was doing like social engineering, human hacking, that kind of stuff. So I, I was just a younger, m bigger punk back then. 
and I hadn't slept in a long time. And I would love to think that I would never do that again. But I got to say that if I'm pushed far enough, I'm not sure. Because <laughs> that guy was a real dick and he deserved that, frankly. But it was still not up to the type of character that I want to be in my life. So yeah, if you want to make if you want to feel like you're normal or that I'm normal, Brenda, I can guarantee you that I am. That is not something that I would ever advocate doing, but there I did it anyway, like a jerk. <laughs> Jason makes a note not to piss off Jordan when he's flying. That's right. <laughs> so before we go, I want to tell a little story given that that we're in the middle of this sort of Harvey Weinstein, Kevin, all this sexual harassment moment here. A lot of guys I've been talking to are like, this is all stupid. It's a distraction. It's fake news. I uh, was selling something on Craigslist. Jen helps me do this. And she was using my name. My name, Jordan, is a unisex name in the United States. And she was using my name because I was going to be the one who was going to have to hand off this particular item. He didn't reply fast enough. Somebody else replied, was ready to buy. So we closed the deal with him. When we told this guy the item was no longer available because somebody responded quicker, immediately went to like really misogynist, horrible, gendered stuff. And I thought like, wow, man, you're allowed to get mad. It's a waste of your time. But wow, to be like threatening and it's it was I'm not exaggerating. It was like, I'm going to freaking come there and I'm going to rape you. And I felt like, holy what? crap, man, because for a guy, if I wrote, if I heard that from a guy, I'd be like, you're a stupid, petty psycho. Yeah. You know, go go fly a kite. But I can totally understand if you're female and some guy's threatening you like that, it's scary. Like, you might lose some sleep over that. And that's why punks like this do that stuff. And I thought, holy crap, this is something that a lot of women have to deal with regularly. And it, it wasn't scary for me at all because I just thought, what a, what a loser. But he thought I was female and he thought, this is how I'm going to make you pay for me not getting. And it was a pair of headphones. Like, get a grip, buddy. You know, come on. So I understand a little bit of this. Stuff. I straight to the gender stuff, man. You know, like straight to it. It just didn't make any sense to me. And I realize a lot of guys they feel powerless, so they go immediately to what makes them feel powerful. And the way to do that when you're interacting with the opposite sex is to threaten sexual violence. It's one way of many, but it seems to be the de rigueur uh, jerk off right now. And it's it made sense to me. I probably have seen this a hundred times and I never noticed it, but now that it's so in the media as this pervasive thing, it starts to stand out just a little bit more. And of course, I immediately reported that because nobody should be doing that and getting away with it. It doesn't matter. It's, I'm not saying, oh, this is terrible. Everybody's against women. But I will say that guys like this do this because they get away with it all the time. And I think it's shitty. Oh, by the way, unrelated question, everybody. If you were going to rename this show... What would you call it? It can be about anything. doesn't have to be charm. doesn't have to have anything to do with it. I'm curious what you would name the show because you are a creative bunch, an educated bunch. If you could rename the show anything you want, go ahead, email me your suggestions. I'm very curious. Jordan at theartofcharm.com is where you can send that. And uh, I really want to hear what people have to say because people come up with really great stuff that I would never come up with on my own. And I'm very curious what you have to say. Documentary of the week, Hunting the KGB Killers. Have you seen this, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, this is about the murder of this guy, Alexander Litvinenko. And he was a KGB agent who defected to London. He worked directly under Putin's guidance. He was assassinating people. He was doing all this crazy, terrible KGB stuff. And he came out and exposed all these connections. And they killed him with 
oh man, what is it again? It was like palladium, was polonium? Two, polonium 212, which is something that you can only get from nuclear missiles in Russia. The only people who can get this are like NASA and people in Russia who are high level. So either he was killed by the West, which makes no sense, or directly as a result of Putin's orders. And they think that they use this stuff because one, it's the deadliest poison known to man, but also because there's no cure coming back from it and also to send a message. So it's kind of this signature, hey, nobody really could have done this except for one group of people. So we want you to know who did it. And the documentary is insane. Hunting the KGB killers. It's on the BBC or is or is produced by the BBC, so you might have to find it through creative channels. It's not uh, Netflix, if you know what I'm saying. But Hunting the KGB Killers, worthwhile if you can find it, and uh, definitely super interesting if you're into that spy stuff. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous. You can either make up your own funny name. We can do it. If it's feedback for the show, we are obviously fans of strong opinions, loosely held, and we'd love to argue like we're right, but also listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy. Hit us up over here. And a link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF142. Quick shout out today goes to my dad's friend's daughter. I know. Melanie Pipkins out of Lansing, Michigan. Small world, eh, Melanie? So here's how this happened, Jason. My dad heard from his friend that his daughter, my dad's racquetball buddy or something, his daughter says, Dad, I've been listening to this podcast. It's called The Art of Charm. You should check it out. And he goes, Oh, I've heard of that. I think my friend's son does that. And she's like, what? I'm a fan of the show. So I'm giving my dad something special to give to your dad to give to you for the holidays. Small world. I can't believe it. Crazy. Yeah. And also a shout out to Susie and Jojo. They just got married. They're traveling around the world. And as they travel, they both listen to the AOC podcast. So that's great. I love that. Congratulations. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit us up. We'd love to shout you out here on the show. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. And Jason, I know you're on social media as well. I'm on Twitter at the JP Def, and I'm on Instagram at JPD, and you're on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. Don't forget. Yeah, Instagram at Jordan Harbinger, Twitter at The Art of Charm. I got to fix that somehow. Yep, and you can always check out my other podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. Go to GOG.show to check it out. Oh, Jason, we should tell them about the end, the demise. The downfall. The downfall, <laughs> but not really, of Minnesota Monday. We're basically, we're not going to do Minnesota Monday anymore. We're going to keep the Minnesota Monday content and throw it into little notes or little extras on Fan Mail Friday. But it just was something that seemed like it was extra work. A lot of people liked it, so we can still serve as those people because they're going to listen to Fan Mail Friday. But we don't have this extra thing in the feed. And it was causing all sorts of technical things. Jason, I, don't, I won't have you get into the weeds on that, but basically a lot of podcast players were having trouble showing all the titles, and there was a lot of updating, and there was a lot of extra stuff in the feed, and it all looked the same. And then it was pushing the older shows off of the feed in certain apps, and it's just like, okay, this thing's a freaking headache. Let's just get rid of it. Fare thee well, Minisode Monday. We'll miss you. Yeah. So we did 80 of these things. That's enough. We know the concept is going to work. We're just going to modify it. So if you love Minisode Monday, don't worry. You're still going to get a lot of that great content. It's just not going to be on Monday. It's going to be on Friday. So you can apply it over the weekend and the week following. And we're just not going to worry about it. You'll have a little bit of a simplification in your feed. And we're going to keep our release days the same. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. But no Monday. You can... 
spend time on Monday doing everything else you got to do on Monday, like catching up with older episodes of AOC. Also, don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. People mentioned it earlier here. It's step-by-step to help you becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal, social capital, and your charisma. It's for both guys and gals, and it's free. So check that out. Get started at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. More from AOC at The Art of Charm, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week in L.A. with AJ and Johnny. If you want to really dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with AJ and Johnny as your coaches, that's at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. We take crypto. I know we've said it a million times. A lot of people are banking with that crypto. Now stay charming. Get out there and connect and leave everyone better than you found them. Booyah, it's Done. 